You're listening to The Big Show on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to the show. We're live in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. This is The Big Show. No George Russick off for a couple of days. He'll be back on Thursday. Patty Dumas joins me. My name is Matt Rose. Lots to do in this hour. Peter Labardi is going to join us just after 8.30 to chat some flames. But we uh, start off with some hockey chat as well. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN joins us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Good morning, Wish. How's it going? Good morning. It's it's going going well. I'm uh, all recovered from my trip to Raleigh for the stadium series, and uh, now I've turned my attention to the trade deadline and all that fun. Well, let's look back on it. Uh, watch some of the visuals from Raleigh, and uh, boy, did they throw up a little bit of a party down there. Uh, what were your favorite <laughs> parts of the stadium series? The tailgating, although I have to admit I did not partake. My, my, uh, I think that's only because ESPN was broadcasting the game, so I knew if I like bumped into any of my bosses and my breath smelled like fireball, it might be kind of problematic. But uh, the it's it's an interesting juxtaposition in, in Raleigh where the tailgates there are like the most like lo-fi college football ta- tailgates you could imagine, where it's like they're playing cornhole and you know they're tricked out their 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 pickup trucks and stuff like that. But for some reason, and this has always been the case in Raleigh, they have the like the nicest top shelf liquor that they're that they're serving <laughs> at their tailgates. Like it's like, you know, like seventy five bottle dollar bottles of whiskey and stuff like that. And it's just a very odd juxtaposition. And the other interesting thing about the stadium series too was that for the first time the NHL um, allowed fans on the field. Uh, it was like a student section that was located. I'd say probably about like twenty five to thirty feet from yards from the uh from the rink and you couldn't see anything like they were the worst seats in the house by far <laughs> but the vibe down there was really fun i mean everybody was was pretty liquored up and and they were kind of like chanting and cheering like it was a college basketball game so i i, I hope they can they can keep that innovation going for uh, another location um these things are fun and 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 like i've said like like you watch it on tv or you think about it from from being outside of the market and maybe it's become bl- you're blasé about it or you're like there's too many of these things but when you're on site for one of these outdoor games man it's it's like the super bowl everybody you got 56,000 people that are there to all kind of like be with their with their tribe and it's it's really cool yeah they do definitely the nhl does put on a definitely a good show for them like i was gonna say like how the market in north carolina in north carolina we, we know like the, the the building's always full for the hurricanes but then seeing over 56,000 there like how is it for a hockey market and then like even the college game between NC State and North uh, and UNC on over the weekend uh, the day after got a good crowd as well Yeah I mean part of it's the novelty of seeing yeah. the game outdoors for sure is the reason they draw that but I mean that market's always been pretty strong and one of the more interesting aspects of, of who went to the stadium series I, I I think Don Waddell said the GM of the of the hurricane said that um, over 50% of the tickets they sold for the game were within like a 20 to 30 mile radius of their, of their arena, which wow. tells you that they've got a really robust local fan base coming to that game. Um, along with, you know, the you know, one sixth of the crowd that was there for the Capitals and things like that. So it was, it was really, really cool. And, and, and like you said, it, it being going to a Canes game and being part of the fan base, there's an inherent enthusiasm that the, the team helps to generate with their post game celebrations and things like that. So, it's a good market, but one of you know to that point, one of the things I've, I've I found with these outdoor games, and I've covered probably about half of them, is there's always people that I bump into that are going to their first NHL game, mm. and it's an outdoor game. Like I saw somebody at Fenway, like that was like, this is my first 
Bruins game. I'm like, you know, they're not all at Fenway Park, right? <laughs> like, you know, like occasionally, eventually you're going to have to go indoors to an arena with crowded uh, concourses, and that's where you're going to end up seeing these games. And it was just like, it's it's kind of a marvelous thing that you know maybe you don't have the money to go on on a, on a typical night. Maybe you're saving it for a special event, but it's a way to get people to see their first live hockey game, and it's that's a really wonderful thing. I know there's already some excitement building for the Battle of Alberta that's going to go next year as the Heritage Classic returns, so that's going to be a lot of fun as well. Um, because we haven't had an outdoor game with the Flames for quite some time, but uh, nevertheless, yeah. that's the way she goes. I uh, did want to ask you about those Calgary Flames. They have five games before the NHL trade deadline after falling to the Flyers yesterday. <laughs> uh, how would you approach the deadline if you're the Flames, knowing uh, the recent history at the group? Well, it's a tricky one, right? Because I think inherently the Western Conference wild card could very well be in play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's you know fewer teams than they have in the East right now that are in play for the wild card, but it could definitely be in play. Um, it really is contingent on what Brad Living thinks as far as the plan going forward. You know, is it is were the moves that were made last summer to plug holes in a sinking ship? and just like try to maintain for a season. And then maybe next summer you kind of revisit and tweak and, and figure out how to now rebuild your team after Kachuk and Gaudreau leave. Um, or is this an all in type season where you're, you're going to still be aggressive at the trade deadline, even if this mix maybe hasn't come together the way that you want it. Um, I, w- I think the former makes more sense than the latter, which is to kind of let this thing play out, reassess everything, see what these, how these new pieces fit and then adjust accordingly in the summer and not spend those assets, uh, draft capital, whatever, uh, at the deadline where prices are insane anyway, and, and then just kind of like move into your next phase next season. Um, but, but maybe there's more urgency there than I'm giving it credit for living to do something to try to get this team into the playoffs by any means necessary. Do you think him being unsigned after this season is relevant to what happens in the next little bit here? I don't know, man. You got you got dealing Kyle Dubas with no contract going and making <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly trades and stuff. So like, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, 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 listen, it might. I mean, uh, it's 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 obviously um, not only what he wants to do, how he approaches it. If he, if he's going to be extra aggressive to try to maybe I don't know save his job, or it could be a situation where you know internally, who knows what's being said insofar as how the team has performed and and you know his his moves that may or may not have worked in, in trying to get this team back to the playoffs and, and what the future for this whole entire group looks like. So it, it's more of that sort of back of your mind mystery. Is, is this why something hasn't happened? Is this why something has happened uh, that anything we can really point to and, and, and predictively say that's going to impact the trade deadline? Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer at ESPN, joining us here on the big show with Russick and Rose. No Russick, I'm Rose. He's Patty Dumas. Friday evening, we saw that Ryan O'Reilly trade as St. Louis uh, starting their sell-off. They're sending O'Reilly and Nolachari to the Leafs for uh, some picks and some prospects. Uh, what, what, what do we like on that deal? Toronto obviously going in here uh, knowing that this might be their best opportunity to at least come out of the first round. <laughs> yeah, that's where the bar is set, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, right. Um, but look, look, I mean, from a St. Louis perspective, first of all, I love it because I think they've got a, a nice bounty from, from the Leafs in that trade. Um, and you combine that with what they got for Tarasenko. Yeah. I don't think for a minute that Doug Armstrong is taking those assets and, and sitting on them like a mama hen waiting for them to hatch. He's going to turn those around <laughs> and try to go after a Jacob Chikrin or try to go after somebody that's going to be able to help them in the short order 
uh, and make this team competitive and relevant next season. From a Leafs perspective, I mean, it does it checks a lot of boxes for them. It's a guy that plays well in the playoffs. It's a guy that's beaten Boston in the playoffs. Uh, it's a guy that helps them out dramatically on defensive zone faceoffs, which might be one of the weaker parts of that lineup. Um, you can play him on the wing in the top six. You can play him at the center as your, uh, uh, you know, in your bottom six if you wanted to. There's a number of things that you can do with O'Reilly that really makes sense for that lineup. And and again, for the Leafs, like it's all about two things. It's one having some guys in the room that can maybe say the right thing at the right time, calm them down in those pressure moments, and and not let them get inside their own heads when things go sideways. And and two, it's it's just getting that, that guy that might be able to put him over the top in in, a, in an elimination game. I mean, sure. yeah. the bottom line for the Leafs, like for all of the problems that they've had, they've gone to the final game of of a series in five consecutive opening rounds, and that's a bounce, that's a goal, that's mm-hmm. that's you know somebody making a play, and maybe Ryan O'Reilly is the guy who ends up doing it. You see O'Reilly going out east, Tarasenko going out east. Uh, the next name, the Horvat. Pro- Horvat's out east. Uh, obviously, it's like Timo Meyer's probably the next name to be moved here. Is a team in the West going to be like, we got to be the guys that, like, is Dallas? Is it going to be Winnipeg? Is it going to be Colorado? Somebody in the West that's going to be making a move for Timo Meyer? Or is Carolina a spot? Is Boston? Is somebody out east going to continue that power shift and all those players continue to move out east? The sense I get of the of the Meyer Derby is that it's it's the Devils in Carolina that are in pretty yeah. deep right now. Um, the Devils in particular, like the Devils, covet that guy, um, and and they have the assets that they can move for him. You know, they've had their own pick. Uh, they've got a, a huge deep pool of prospects, and some of, some of them haven't even hit the NHL yet. In the, in the case of like Luke Hughes and, and Simone Nemesh, mm-hmm. so um, you're not getting one of those guys to Team no. Meyer, but you might get some of their guys that are like right behind them. So. Um, that's, I think the, one of those two teams will be the ones that end up with him. Uh, but in the West, I mean, the one name that I think is going to be really interesting is Patrick Kane. And mm-hmm. he really wants the world to know he's still okay uh, with the offensive outpouring that we've seen in the last week. I think, I think the Vegas Golden Knights putting Mark Stone in long-term injury reserve mm-hmm. tells you that they've got something cooking uh, where they need to add some money. And, and the landing spot that I've always thought was really intriguing for Kane, because if, if, he obviously does control his, his own fate with the no-move clause, is Dallas. Like I think I've talked to people around the league that think the Dallas Stars could win the cup um, because of their depth, because of their goaltending, because of the way they play, because it's Pete DeBoer's first season there, and all his teams do in his first season is go play for the cup. Um, Kane's got Suter there, he's got Pavelski there, he's got a couple guys he knows from the national team. It seems like a really logical, smart landing place for him, but ultimately it's going to be Kane's decision as to where he wants to spend the next two months knowing that whoever trades for him might not necessarily be the place where he ends up long-term. Uh, talk about uh, Jonathan Taves had some, uh, we had the news from Jonathan Taves this weekend, uh, the long COVID, the, the chronic immune response uh, syndrome that he's got going on, obviously not going to get traded. Uh, but what are we, we seeing with, with Jonathan Taves? I know we, uh, they had a doctor on on the Merrick show yesterday breaking down what he was going, uh, but he's been battling through. But just uh, your takeaways with the, the Jonathan Taves news. Yeah, I mean, that's really, I mean, I, I think it's much, obviously, it's not about the trade deadline at all. It may not even be about next summer. It's, it's yeah. about whether or not he wants to continue with his career. I mean, he's he's had an incredibly storied and accomplished career. Um, if he's still feeling physical after effects from, from the things he's dealing with, it may just be time to move on. Um, you know, the long COVID part of it was, was the surprise, I think, in his statement. It, it just kind of brings you back to the last couple of years and, mm-hmm. and, how we've all really tried to move on from it. And there are still some people that are, are really suffering the after effects of, 
a disease uh, and a, or a virus rather that we still don't really know all too much about as far as like the long-term implications and and him mentioning that in that uh, statement from the Blackhawks was was a real eye-opener and and maybe even for some of the guys um, that that battled it in the last couple of years to kind of think all right well what's my prognosis look like for the next few years with this thing floating around in my system. I'm intrigued to see what happens in Anaheim, um, particularly with John Klingberg. He signed that contract in the offseason with the trade clause that basically said, I get to pick where I want to try and go after January 1st. And I don't know if there's a lot of teams that he would like to go to that are uh, lining up the door to try and bring in his talents. What what do you think is going to happen with John Klingberg here uh, prior to the deadline? I mean... You eat, you eat some of the salary and you take what you can get for him because yeah. I think he was clearly a pump-and-dump prospect for the Ducks. Unfortunately, uh, there was no pump. I mean, he was <laughs> terrible this year. Uh, listen, I, I think Klingberg is still a, uh, a, a defenseman that might be able to help in the right situation. I don't know where his game has gone in the last two years um, to really put him in this spot, uh, but everybody's always looking for a puck mover. And uh, there have been teams that have certainly – uh, been sniffing around John Klingberg for a number of years, and you wonder if the price is right, if they'll come back to him. I mean, Carolina's one of them for sure that's looked at him over the years. So we'll see where that goes. But, I mean, it's got to be a huge disappointment for the Ducks and, and Pat Verbeek, their GM, to have this guy in a one-year deal, to expect his numbers to uh, to blow up on a, on a good young offensive team, and then all of a sudden you find yourself with a depressed asset at the trade deadline. Not not what they what they planned, I'm sure, when they signed Klingberg. If you had to pick one of the Sabres, Red Wings, and Senators to make a race out of this thing and maybe even get into the playoffs, who would it be? It'd be the Sabres. The mm-hmm. Sabres have like a one in four chance, I think, of making the playoffs. And they're the team that has showed me um, an impressive amount of weathering different storms this season. Uh, you know, they're, this, the Sabres team has earned the reputation of like starting strong and then falling off. Um, you know, they, they'll hit a streak and then immediately disappear. And they did a little of that this year, but they, they bounced back nicely to, to reinsert themselves into that wild card race. And, um, you know, I was just talking, talking to somebody else this morning about this. Like, I've long said the only guy that can possibly challenge Connor McDavid for MVP is Tage Thompson. Like, if Tage Thompson puts the Sabres on his back in the same way that Taylor Hall did the Devils several years ago, mm-hmm. and they get in the playoffs for the first time in over a decade, like, that's a pretty convincing case, especially if he ends up being, like, 20 points clear of the next highest score on the Sabres, which could be very well be the case. Like, I'd be fascinated to see if there's a if there's a, a groundswell for Tage Thompson to maybe get more MVP love than, than McDavid. For my money, I've said this on the show this year, my favorite player to watch is Tage Thompson. Just the way that he plays, the reach, the size, you can score all sorts of different ways. Who would be in your kind of upper echelon of favorite players to watch this year? Well, Connor, mm, <laughs> I mean, every yeah. night without fail. I mean, it, it's just it's just incredible to to watch him go and to watch him do his thing. And then for me, I mean, I'm you know obviously I'm a, grew up a Devils fan. Uh, to see Jack Hughes level up the way that he has this season has been remarkable. I mean, I, I always knew that he'd be a strong offensive player in this league as he got a little bit older and got a little bit bigger. Um, that was the big problem he had in his first couple seasons. He would just get knocked off the puck and uh, and and would be then out of the lineup for like 20 games. Um, he's, he's, he's matured physically. And the thing that he's done that I didn't anticipate is like, it's like watching Mark stone out there. Like he has developed a defensive side of his game, knowing that it will lead to those offensive chances. And, and he is one of the most tenacious two way players in the league right now. And, and obviously from an offensive creativity standpoint, 
is in that elite company of of the best guys to watch in in, in the attacking zone. I love I love watching Jack Hughes. And he doesn't have a personality of a of blank piece of paper either. So that's <laughs> that's good to see as well. Uh, Greg, you've been working on an article with ESPN doing the series of top ten centers. You have the top ten defensemen as well. You have the or the forwards of this week, I believe. You had the defenseman last week. And you had the wingers drop today. We got, so, so we we had we had D-men and goalies last week. Okay, a is wingers, uh, which you, we grouped into one big category to kind of make it a little bit less complicated for our, our voters. We the, the gimmick is we have ten uh, players, uh, active players, and then ten uh, executives, um, you know, player personnel people, and they all submit their ballots mm. to these four different positions, and so it's a really interesting kind of mix of insiders from all walks of, of NHL life. And the lists are, are, are revelatory insofar as like who does make it, who doesn't make it. And today the wingers, I mean, I can tell you already that there, there's been a, a huge number of people wondering how I've Jason Robinson is so low. <laughs> yeah. There's a huge number of people wondering how Alex Ovechkin makes the list in, in, uh, in the year of our Lord, 2023. Uh, it's, it's a really, really interesting thought experiment. If, if you want to go back and check out the goalies and the defensemen, I think are linked in the lead for this edition, the the wingers, and then on Thursday is uh, the granddaddy of them all, best picture, if you will, uh, the centers, uh, which uh, which brings its own level of surprises. What was your biggest surprise on the list that dropped today? Whether it was an omission or someone who was on the list. <laughs> well, it, it it was an omission for somebody that was on the list. Uh, there was a, a number of people that left Nikita Kucherov off their ballot, which is what? <laughs> like, wow. I mean, we're talking about like a heart trophy guy, heartbeat player, driving force behind a team that's been the cup final several times, won back-to-back cups. Like it, it is, it, it defies logic to think that he's left off a ballot, but everybody's got their reasons. I was a little surprised to see um, Ovechkin sneak in at 10. Mm. Um, I thought maybe, him being kind of the one-dimensional player that he is now, that they wouldn't give him that that credit. Um, but I think maybe when you look at the guys you just missed, like Kyle Connor obviously has the Winnipeg problem. Mark Stone can't stay healthy. Kane has had a down year. He didn't make the cut. Um, so I guess by default you, you give it to Ovechkin. But uh, but yeah, there's there's definitely some surprises on that list. I think they probably got the top two right. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 been a really fun experiment to see and uh, um, and get a sense of of what these guys that are in the league are are really thinking. Man, Kucherov still finished second, and some guys had him off his ballot. Just such a disparity in how people look at him. Like that's shocking. It's shocking, and I'll give you one more. Patrick Kane did receive a first place vote from an active player, which is <laughs> huh? An active. I mean, player. I, don't, I don't even know. I don't even was know it a Blackhawk or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, okay. I, I, I will. Just, I, I can't disclose the identity of any of our voters, yeah. but I will tell you that it was not a Blackhawks. You know, I put him first. <laughs> so it was the general manager of the Blackhawks. Then that's that's what I want. <laughs> Trying to make this move. Kyle Davidson got to yeah. get him in there. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> just juicing the numbers. <laughs> oh man, Greg, it was a great chat today. As always, uh, looking forward to the centerpiece as well. And uh, hey, enjoy the uh, the ten days leading up to the deadline. It's always fun. Much appreciated. Thanks. There he is, Greg Wachinski, ESPN senior NHL writer. And this story, this is like, let's just run through the top 10. Yeah. David Pasternak, number one. Yep. He got 161 points. Yep. He had 20 points more than Nikita Kucherov in second. After that, Kirill Kaprizov. Mm -hmm. No no qualms here yet. Mitch Marner comes in at four. Yeah. Checks out. Miko Ranton in at five. Mm -hmm. Yep. Brad Marchand. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Artemi Panarin. Without a doubt, yep. Matthew Kachuk, yep. 
Jason Robertson. Yep, it's just that 10. And then it's Ovechkin. It's just, it, it, but you got to think, like, Timo Meyer's left off. Andre Shvechnikov is left off. Chris Kreider, Kyle Connor, Jake Gensel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Stone, obviously, injured. Um, yeah, Brady Kachuk, even. Yeah, sure. As a guy, a guy that could see see here being on this list as well. Uh, Gabe Landeskog, again, he hasn't been healthy. Um, yeah, I think it's a lot of just people just like knowing what Ovechkin is and what he is, how dangerous he is as, his, as the one-trick pony now and just what he can do to a game. And obviously the name. Uh, obviously with, with Winnipeg, it's, it's, the, it's him playing in Winnipeg. It's yeah. the Winnipeg problem that nobody in a lot really sees them and pays attention to them. So, yeah, Kyle Connor, probably a top 10 winger because I think only five guys have scored more goals than him in the last five seasons. Who do you take out? Oh, Ovechkin I'm taking out okay. of this list. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I might flip-flop Panarin and Marchand. It might move Matthew Kachuk up a bit, but that top 10 outside of Ovechkin, it's a pretty good list. Yeah, and it's it's the current top 10 NHL wingers. Yeah. Not their careers or anything like that. Current. Right now. So that's why Ovechkin being tenth, some people may be scratching. I guess it's, it's the chase. Bit. It's the whole like yeah, like we've got history on the line here, and obviously we, he's missing time right now. But I want to get him back. Good chat with Wish. Mm-hmm. Well done. Uh, on to the next. Maybe a less jovial chat around the corner. We'll keep it happy. We'll try to keep it. We happy. We always keep it happy around here yeah. because it's the big show. No Rusick, just Rose, Patty Dumas, GVP, and Alex Brody in the other room, and Peter Labardius joins us next. Sportsnet nine sixty, the fan. Your number one spot for Flames coverage can be found on Flames Talk with me, Pat Steinberg. Exclusive interviews, trusted insiders, and the latest news. Listen live weekday afternoons at 4 or stream the Flames Talk podcast on demand. Welcome back to the show. Final segment. Oh, boy. We had too much fun. Time flies. Can't believe it. Hey, if you're driving out there today. Don't. First off, don't. (laughs) Second off, be careful. Don't Take it slow. F- don't follow. Lights on. Yeah. No speeding. There is. It's slick, and it's probably gonna get worse before it gets better. Oh, it's gonna get cold. So yeah, everything it's gonna that kind of melted is gonna freeze. It's gonna be awful. So enjoy it. This is the big show. Russick and Rose. No Russick. Needed a couple days off after working for four straight weeks. Yeah. Tough. tough. Tough gig. Uh, so Patty Dumas sitting in with me, Alex Brody, GVP in the other room, and we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to talk to our Flames insider, Peter Labardius, who's brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference, the Gemini Group, now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Hi, Lou. Oh, hello. <laughs> so when you saw that they had canceled practice today and you looked out and saw the snow, what was your what was your feeling? What was the what was the first word that popped into your head? Well, I knew that was happening um before I went to sleep. Oh, bingo. And I was delighted. <laughs> uh what I generally do when I come on in the mornings with you guys is I'll wake up, which today my uh Gavin McKenna alarm clock went off in my head <laughs> at 5.48. Um, so I decided to uh, watch UConn and PEI until I fell asleep about midway through the second. And he only had two more points, 19 now for the young man at the Canada Winter Games in three games. Um, yeah, so then I came outside 
did not want a shovel. No, did not. But <laughs> if you want to get to at least attempt to get to your vehicle, mm-hmm. you have no choice. So I shoveled for 15 minutes. Um, I watched the gentleman in front of me who I don't think he's encountered this before. Um, so he's stuck. So we give him a little push and a little extra shoveling for Hank in front of me. And of course, his name is not Hank. I just like, I don't know. Yeah, good radio name. That's a good pull. Yeah, yeah. That's a good fake name. I've never met him. And then, um, lucky enough that he cleared enough of a path that I have made it towards my favorite cop coffee stop at second cup. Now in the parking lot here, um, you can't even really tell, is there a p- parking spot where mm. I now I'm not going to get stuck. So it's awesome. Fellas. You, you gotta, yeah. ho- you gotta hope that somebody's already been established there and they already have like kind of an outline yeah. for yeah. you. You're like, Oh, oh I yeah. can slide right in there. I think my favorite part is that the snow hasn't stopped. So, you know, it get the, oh, it's, 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 yeah. it's great. Like, yeah. give us one of the best winters here I've ever experienced. And then just in one fell swoop, though, how about three feet for the kids? Oh, yeah. Yeah, your, your lats were looking a little small. We get a little <laughs> shovel work for all you guys down there in Calgary. So here you go. Um, hey, there's a lot to get to today, but I actually wanted to start um, just because yeah, you brought you them up. you can shovel that, too. Yeah, that would, <laughs> There was a certain enough that you could, yeah, okay. Um, tell us about Gavin McKenna before we get to yesterday's game. Because everyone knows about Connor Bedard, but not everybody might know about Gavin McKenna the at this point. One. The next guy. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, they're very different. But I've been watching Gavin the last year or so. Um, last year, he played out at rank hockey academy in Kelowna and he did so as a 14 year old and was third in scoring in that league at the end of the season saw him three or four times last season and this year um, you know I've seen him play twice for Medicine Hat I've seen him play and help um, Saha Southern Alberta Hockey Academy out of Medicine Hat, that's where he plays regularly this year. And he helped his team win the Circle K Classic, formerly the Max, and was the MVP of that event. Mm -hmm. He is just, his vision, his ability to make plays, his hands in tight, um, not the biggest guy. And and not what I would call guys a burner, Mm -hmm. but... He has an ability to see the game and make plays two steps before they ever occur. And so, you know, now granted, UConn, who under normal circumstances would never win a game, and they are in the C pool. And the C pool is for UConn, PEI, Newfoundland, Nunavut, so those teams are trying to grab a couple of spots to make their way into a qualification game and then maybe the quarterfinals. But when I left the house and it was 4-3 for the UConn with five minutes to go, he was in on three of them. Hmm. So he had 
nine points in the first game, eight points yesterday. Oh, they played twice. They played twice yesterday. So he had 17 points in two games yesterday. <laughs> oh, my and God. And he had three when I left the house. Now, now, because of his team, which is not very good in comparison to, you know, Alberta, Ontario, and, mm-hmm. you know, the teams playing in pools A and B, but I don't know many people who get 17 points in one day in any situation. And and the other thing is, guys, I don't know the last time he has played in a game where everyone was the same age as he is. Yeah. He's putting up lacrosse but numbers. Right, but he is right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, eligible He's for the good. 2026 draft. So we're a ways away, the yeah. 15-year-old from UConn uh, and currently playing at the uh, Canada Winter Games. Okay, on to the big club. Yesterday, they lose to the Philadelphia Flyers. One of the things that we talked about in the press box was how this team handles adversity. What have you noticed when adversity seems to run its course with this group? Well, I, I don't think you know the answer to that question, and I think most people know the answer to that question, and it's it's been very, very difficult for them. You know, and yesterday... And not that they're not capable, because even yesterday they were down 3-1 and got on a run in the third period and made it 3-3 before they made, I think I counted, three mistakes that led to a backdoor tap-in for Wade Allison, what turned into the game winner. So, you know, handling adversity, fragile, lack of confidence, the wear and tear of being in another one goal game it's guys it's a hard way to play it's a hard way to play when every night you feel like you're in a must win which they virtually are and it certainly has felt that way for a long time whether it should or whether it shouldn't um it's it's a hard way to operate it's not a fun way to operate uh you know in goal there's there's no room there for air. You don't have many games where you can just breathe. So it's it's difficult and it's frustrating. And you know, even when Jason LaBarbera came in and saw us yesterday, there, you know, there's not anybody there that's not wearing it pretty hard. Patty Duma also joins us here on the morning show. It's the big show with Russick and Rose. No Russick, I'm Matt Rose. Peter Labardios joining us as well. Lou, last time I had a chat with you was uh, just before the Seattle game, just before they went on the All-Star break, and we talked about the power play struggles mm-hmm. then. Uh, they changed the units up coming out of the All-Star break. A lot more struggles of late still. Like yesterday, they have the, the, the power play's not working, then Philly gets two goals right after that. What are you seeing out of, uh, out of that special teams unit right now? Well, again, a lot like their season. You know, there was one and a half yesterday that I liked. And then there's probably two and a half that I didn't. Um, They generated enough chances yesterday, even on the power play for me to probably get a couple. They didn't. But my bigger concern was the coverage and mistakes and awareness coming out of both of those Mm -hmm. situations. So, yes, I know that Patty, a point to the power play and it has to be, much better and when we chatted the last time yes 
did it have to be an area that required significant improvement in order to make the playoffs? Still does. Um, I don't mind going with an A and B type unit or an one A and one B is more accurate, but they haven't found, you know, just like the rest of their game. They haven't gotten on a roll in that area either. It's been really good some games since they've tried it and marginal in others. So, you know, if you're asking what I'm seeing, well, one power play in particular yesterday I loved in the second period, didn't score. First period, first one generated, you know, great chance in the high slot and the bumper from Andrew Mangiapane. The second one in the first period, you know, they had the puck and they made some plays, but there wasn't a lot of motion, no exchanges. So that's what I've been seeing. What do you you make of the – I know you can't really do much about the guys you're playing across from you, but the goaltending matchups on the other side. You know, you get Samuel Urson only making his ninth career start. You got Magnus Halberg, he's made 15. Mad Sogard's only made six. Jackson Stauber has made five. And all four of those guys have made the Flames – They've they've looked like Wah Hashik Broder in some of those games. Like, what are you seeing with the Flames? It's not just those guys. It's been all year with the Flames playing against the backups. Are you seeing like what is the the problem there? You're thinking confidence. Yeah, doesn't go any deeper than that for me. Again, it's 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 the stress in a lot of ways of the whole situation. Guys aren't having a lot of fun playing this year. They're not. Sorry, nobody, you can tell me whatever you want. You're not. It's not fun. It's hard. And that's fine. And so it lends itself everywhere. No. Yesterday's a perfect example. Hold it just for one second. Mm-hmm. Yesterday's a perfect, and I didn't mean that the way it probably sounded. <laughs> You're good. Um, sorry. Um, but they've had a lot of games this year where they have not taken advantage of good stretches. How different is our conversation if two of the six or seven quality chances go in? And, and Mr. Duma, in terms of your goaltending, mm-hmm. that youngster that I saw yesterday, that one was different for me. Eighth goalie ever to start 6-0 and to a career. And just how he did it. Mm -hmm. His movements, quiet, composed. You know, it's six, seven games in. I sure liked what I saw. I was in the room there yesterday when Jason LaBarbera came in for his post-game interview. And I was just wondering what you thought. I thought the one word that I would use is he, he felt exasperated with just some of his answers where it was like, you know, we're looking for answers. We're doing everything that we can here, and I don't know what to tell you guys. And I was just wondering what you, what your kind of takeaway was from that great chat with Jason. Well, I thought he handled it beautifully. And, you know, when your number one goalie is having a tough time and you're coaching him, and I think he does, I, 
almost drove off the road the other night because there was a caller who phoned in and, you know, everything was wrong with the goaltending department and the goalie and Jason. And I'm like, you really have no idea, do you? Like none. Mm-hmm. Um, Maddie, everybody's feeling the pressure. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is there's, there's basically one guy in upper management or on the coaching staff that has a deal passed this year. So I'm not saying that they're taking that to work every day. Oh, is that, is that stressful? (laughs) Yes. It's all stressful. There is nothing worse in, in how anybody goes about their business then when you know you are giving everything you have, you're doing a lot of the same things that have always paid dividends, and it's not working. So everyone right now is the word that you asked, exasperated. And, and you know what? I shouldn't, I shouldn't necessarily do this, but I'm going to just try to help people a little bit with an example and I know everybody has examples okay so when I think about Markstrom when I think about Huberto when I think about anybody going through tough struggles that I think are like very very good and beyond good at what they do I think back to getting fired in 2011 and from Sportsnet television And the explanation that I got for why was in one sentence. Our new bosses don't think you're any good at calling hockey. Hmm. So that was everything to me and still is. And I still love that role more than life itself. But I was lucky that year to still stay on the play-by-play train and do about 20 games through the course of the year for Shaw Television doing junior games. Guys, I stunk. Most nights in that booth, I'd leave and would drive away and go, have you ever done this before? So I'd lost every ounce of confidence. And it took me probably until near the end of the next season to get back to a place that I felt good about and really comfortable. So I'm not, I'm not trying to make it about me. I'm just saying that unless in life you have ever performed in a very subjective area. And I know we all do in our jobs. We all have bosses. So it's really not that different. But if, if you were like me and in 2010, you're calling eight games at the Winter Olympics and a year and a half later coming out of Memorial Cup number eight, somebody tells you that you're no good at what you love doing and you think you're not the best at, never felt that way. It's certainly pretty good. I wanted to end. Think about that. Feel, think about that feeling for a minute. Yeah. Because I think some of the guys on this team 
have probably visited that feeling this year. And it's hard to get out of, right? That's that's the biggest yes, thing. It and sometimes is. it just takes time, and you never really know with these types of things. Um, I did want to ask you about Dennis Gilbert, though. Uh, don't know how much we're going to be seeing him, but probably quite a bit with uh, Michael Stone. Uh, a little bit banged up right now after uh, Daryl Sutter told us after the game yesterday couldn't play because he is hurt. Um, but a thought on the fight and what he tried to do to get that that the, his team involved. Maddie, when do I need to be out? You got wanna, you got three wanna... you got four minutes. Okay, well that's that's probably too much for that question. But, <laughs> um, I I just didn't want to run you short. No, you're good. I I I have really appreciated Dennis Gilbert every single game. I think he's given them good minutes. Well, I'm really impressed with Dennis, and I think it absolutely aligns with what he does. Is he has great awareness, mm. guys? Listen, listen to an interview from him. Like he gets it, he understands the game, and even though he has limited NHL experience, he knows. You know, he's taken a few pages out of the Rock and book. This guy knows his role. <laughs> He really does. And mm-hmm. even yesterday, early in the game, that game had a – Maddie, you were there. It had a kind of a flat feel for a few minutes until he knocked Nick Delorier right on his can <laughs> and then had to answer to Nick Sealer. Like, he saw an opportunity. He's physical. He will do whatever it takes to make the most out of his minutes. And he and that hit and that fight, I think, was very responsible to take the team's energy, the crowd's energy, to a different place. Mm-hmm. He has done very well. And then, you know, by the third, because Daryl and Ryan Huska were not happy with the pairings, switched them all up. And you found him with Rasmus Anderson in the third. Good on you. Mm-hmm. He's he's earned every minute, every second he's had, and he's done, I think, about as well as anybody could do in that situation. It's been fun to watch for sure and definitely gave a little bit of life to the building in the first period, uh, but the Flames could not capitalize. They fall to the Flyers. Uh, now Wednesday, Thursday, Arizona and the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, that should do it for today, Lou. Safe travels out there, hey? Guys, be good to yourselves, and as my dear friend Kelly Rempel always likes to say, stay young. Yes. Bye, guys. Bye, Lou. Thank you, Lou. And uh, a great point for Mr. Rempel as well. No, Kelly Rempel, we've heard a lot. Lou, Lou throws his name out there a lot. Oh, and yeah. And Kelly, like, he... He's a good he's dude. Probably he's, he's probably listening. He's probably a great... The he's Silver Fox, man. He's, probably, he's, he's a good dude. Great dude, Kelly Rempel. I know Lou, Lou loves you. Lou's a big fan. Uh, all right. That'd pretty much do it for us. <sighs> that was a show. It was quick. That was a show. It was fast. I feel like it went a lot better than the three hours the Saddle Dome yesterday went. Oh, a little bit more entertaining. I would like to, hopefully. <laughs> uh, arguably not, but Hopefully. Uh, big thanks to everybody who joined us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Jason Bukula. Um, some pretty... Real talk. Yeah. 
Real talk with Jason about about where we are assessing this Flames group uh, 10 days out from the trade deadline. Look for his story on sportsnet.ca, the scouts' analysis on how the Flames can approach a trade deadline five games before that deadline on March the 3rd. Our trade deadline coverage is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar and Tuxedo Source for Sports. Uh, so big thanks to Jason. Big thanks to Adam Stanley. We talked a little Tiger Woods in the Genesis and uh, CanCon as uh, the Canadians yeah. on tour are having themselves a great season. That hour is up for your podcast listening. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, you name it. You can go grab hour number two or hour number one. We did the morning report, talked a little bit about the game. And then uh, this hour will be up for you shortly as well. Greg Wyshynski talking some trade deadline thoughts and stadium series. And then Peter Labardi is talking a little uh, Gavin McKenna. And, of course, uh, the Flames lost to the Flyers. On to the next. Mm. Game day tomorrow. Down at the mullet. We'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye.